Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 30 is where we're going to start off with and we're going to cover tonight. <clears throat> Verse 20 of Matthew 11, Then he, Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more, bear, more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, to catch us up with where we left off last time, since it's been a few weeks since we met together, if you remember the verses just prior to this, Jesus had just finished saying that wisdom is justified by her deeds or by their actions. As we saw last study, he was saying that our actions actually show what we really believe. And we've talked at the end that you can say one thing, but your actions are going to show what you really believe. And then with that in mind, he starts pointing out the response or the actions of some of the cities where he did many miracles and preached regularly. The city of Chorazin, the city of Bethsaida, the city of Capernaum. Go with me back to Matthew chapter 3. And let me remind you of something we learned earlier in our Matthew study. Look at verses 12 through 17. In Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 12, it says, Now when he, this is Jesus, had heard that John, John the Baptist, had been arrested... He withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the... I'm sorry, I'm in Matthew 4. I'm in, I know where I'm at. I don't know why you guys had a problem with it. <laughs> it's Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12. I will make a note in my notes so that I don't do that to the people tomorrow night. It's in Matthew 4. I wrote in my notes Matthew 3, but I read the right place. Start in chapter 4, verse 12. It says, Now when he, this is Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. If you remember, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there came a point where he stopped doing most of his work in Jerusalem and Judea. And he went and he spent most of his time during the three years of his ministry in Galilee, and Capernaum, Bethsaida, and these cities that we're looking at here in Chorazin. And we saw back in Matthew 3 that the prophecy had said that that's where he was going to be doing most of his ministry and that those areas had seen what? A great light. On them, the light had dawned. That's going to be important. Now, interestingly enough, though, as Jesus, go back to Matthew chapter 11, as he is chastising and rebuking these cities 
and denouncing these cities where most of his mighty works had been done, we never read anywhere in the scripture that any of these cities ever mocked Jesus or ran him out of town like they did in Nazareth or tried to kill him like they did in Judea. We don't really see these cities rejecting him per se, but why did the scripture say they were being denounced? You see it there in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. They didn't repent. In other words, their response was indifference. It wasn't an outright rejection of him in the sense of we just don't want you here or they didn't try to kill him or anything. They just wouldn't repent. And their response was indifference. Listen closely to what I'm going to show you folks from Scripture. To ignore or to do nothing with Jesus and his claims is a response. To do nothing is a response, and it's not the right one. Go to Matthew chapter 12. You're in chapter 11. Jump over to chapter 12. Look at verse 30. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. I've heard people say over the years, I haven't really decided. Well, the Bible says that you're against him then. To do nothing with Jesus, to just ignore his claims is a response, and it's not a good one. Go to Romans chapter 1. Look at verses 18 through 25. In Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Look closely at what the Scripture says. The Bible says there's no such thing as an atheist. Now there's people who claim to be an atheist, who don't believe that God exists, but the Bible says they're just deluding themselves. He's revealed it. He's made it clear. Even just through creation itself, He's revealed and He's made it known to them. They've just suppressed the truth. They've ignored the truth. They've denied the truth by acting like it's not there. Do you remember when your kids were little and they were real little and you would try to play hide and seek with them and they would do this and they thought you couldn't see them? That's how those people are that are out there claiming to be atheists. God's not there. You know, they cover their faces and they think that that's enough. Folks, listen closely. To not deal with the claims of Jesus Christ and what he's revealed to all of us is a response. And it's a wrong one. Bethsaida, Chorazin, here we see they, they didn't reject him. They didn't try to kill him. They didn't run him out of town like you did in Nazareth and try to push him off a hill. But they didn't what? They didn't repent. The response that he was looking for from them, they didn't give. Now, we see something else here in verses 20 through 24 of chapter 11. We all will be judged in the same measure with how much God has revealed to us. Look at what it says. 
And if you go again to verses 20 through 24, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works had been done in you, sorry, done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon, by the way, these are Gentile cities, than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now, I want you to go back with me to Matthew chapter 10 and look at verses 5 through 15. Remember when Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, he gave them some very specific instructions. And look at verse 5 through 15. It says the 12, these 12, Jesus sent out instructing them at that time. He said, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. We're going to talk about who's worthy in a little bit later in our study tonight. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. And if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Isn't that interesting? Sodom and Gomorrah was judged severely by God because of their wickedness. He just wiped them off the face of the earth with a fire and brimstone shower, if you will. And then God says, if you go into one of these Jewish cities that I'm sending you to, and they don't res respond to you, and they reject you, shake the dust off your feet and go on to the next town. But let me tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for that town. Now, I want you to hear something, folks. The Bible is very clear. I'm going to show it to you from Scripture. We all will be judged in measure, in according measure, with how much God has revealed to us. Go to uh, Luke chapter 12 real quick. Let me kind of lay the foundation, then we'll look at some other Scriptures that kind of talk about that. In Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48, Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 47, And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Now hopefully you understand this. If you were a parent, I had to learn over the years that there's a difference between a mistake that my child made and disobedience, intentional disobedience. I, unfortunately, some of us were raised by parents who, if you spilled the milk and it was an accident, they still came down hard on you. How can you spill the milk? How could you do that? That milk's expensive, you know, and they were hard on you. But it was a mistake. You know, there are times, though, that we don't know better. But there's a big difference between not knowing better and knowing better and actually saying, I know what you said, but I'm going to step over that line. Hopefully you as a parent dealt more severely with the outright disobedience than you did. I'm sorry, I didn't know. And in the same way, God says, when it comes the time where he's going to judge each of us, 
The measurement he's going to use is not how bad you were compared to somebody else. The measurement he's going to use is, is how much he's revealed to you and how much you did know, but you still didn't do it. That's a severe judgment. And those who are lost are going to be judged. Well, if you remember, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 that the books are going to be opened. And everything they were done was recorded in the books. And they'll be judged according to what they had done. But also, as we see here in the scriptures, it's also going to be in measure with how much they had revealed to them. Now, why is he going to be harder on these Jewish cities? Very good. Like, hear what Susan said? Because they had the prophets and Moses. You're quoting my next scripture in my notes. You've been peeking. Go to Romans chapter 3, and then we're going to go to Romans chapter 9. Go to Romans 3. And go to Romans chapter 9. And then after that, in Romans 3, we're going to be in verses 1 and 2. Paul's been laying out the foundation here that everybody's guilty before God, whether you're Jewish or Gentile. And then he says in chapter 3 of Romans, verse 1, Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision, much in every way? To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Go to Romans chapter 9. Look at verses 1 through 5. Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are the Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. If you remember, God revealed Himself when He chose a people for His own purposes, and He chose Abraham, and He started a nation from Him. He then revealed Himself to them, and He not only revealed Himself to them, He did it with the fire and the cloud and the pillars of smoke and, and, and the miracles and the parting of the Red Sea. And He was revealing Himself, and they had the law, they had the prophets, they had all these people preaching to Him. I mean, the evidence of Him being there, they will be held in stricter accountability. And by the way, that's why the nation of Israel has gone through all the stuff they've gone through in all their history. God had laid it out. If you obey me, you will be blessed. If you don't, I'm going to judge you severely. The good news is, because of his promises, he's still going to keep Israel alive until the end because he's made a promise to Abraham and to, his, and to Isaac and to Jacob that they would be a people forever. And because even though they've been disobedient and more severe in their disobedience because of how much he had revealed to him, he's still keeping them alive because of his promises and who he is. And that's going to be important for us later on. But at the same time, we actually, if you remember in our study of Ezekiel, I know some of you still shudder when I say Ezekiel because we were in it so long, but, but if you remember in our study in Ezekiel, there were two uh, parts of the nation. They had divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was judged first. The Assyrians came and took them captive. And then the southern kingdom was judged. And if you remember in our study of Ezekiel, God said that Judah was worse in the northern kingdom of Israel. Why? Because they saw what had happened to their sister. They saw the judgment and they still didn't repent. And that's why this, the judgment on the, the southern kingdom of, of Judah was so much worse. Go to Hebrews chapter 10.
Look at verses 26 through 31. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, see that word? Deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and is, has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, for years this passage has caused some people to think that a Christian could lose their salvation. That's not what this passage is saying. If you look at the whole of this section, you'll see what he's saying is, there are those who are among us who claim to be Christians, but they're really not. And the deliberately going on sinning is rejecting the call of God to salvation. But the Jim, it says that they're trampling underfoot the blood of the covenant which sanctified them. Listen closely. The Bible's very clear in 2 Corinthians it talks about it, in Colossians it talks about it, that at the moment that Jesus died on the cross, He paid for the sins of the entire world. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting men's trespasses against them. And now he's now given us the message of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. In other words, at the moment Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins of the whole world. Does that mean that the whole world's going to heaven now automatically? No. The payment was made, but we have to now receive it by faith. And when you have had the payment already made and you reject that, you say, no, I'll pay for it myself. I'll get myself to heaven You've trampled underfoot the blood of the covenant, the Son of God, who went through all of that to pay for your sins. He said, someone who broke the law of Moses was judged without mercy just on the account of two or three witnesses. How much more serious do you think the judgment's going to be for those in this world who have had the truth revealed to them? We read that in Romans chapter 1. And they ignored it, rejected it. That's why Jesus said these Jewish cities, not only the Jewish cities, but the Jewish cities where he did most of his mighty works, it'll be stricter and harder for them on the day of judgment than it will be for Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Sodom and Gomorrah had some light. They had received, I think we read it, a great light. God himself came and revealed himself to them in the flesh. Folks, that's why in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story of the man who had been forgiven a great debt. And he went and then wouldn't forgive his brother. And the Bible says that when the master found out that he wouldn't forgive the brother, he then threw that man into prison until he could pay the, the big debt. And at first my thought was, wait a minute, he was forgiven. And, and now he had to go to hell? And God opened my eyes one day and said, just because you're forgiven doesn't mean you've received it. The evidence of how he treated his brother showed he had never received the forgiveness that was already his. Folks, the world is already forgiven. That doesn't mean the world's going to heaven. Only those who respond appropriately to God's offer of grace are the ones who are going to be able to enter into his eternity. Listen closely. All the world has had it revealed to them. And oh, by the way, has there been a nation in the last so many hundreds of years that has had more revealed to them than the United States? 
don't be surprised that there wouldn't be a severe judgment on this country because of the direction we go, even though God has revealed much to us in our founding, in how we got started, and how God provided for Let's be honest, folks. The story of the American Revolution reads like one of the Old Testament miracle stories of the tiny little nation of Israel defeating all the big nations around them. How in the world did all those guys with guns that only shot once and then you had to stick them in a barrel of water to cool them down before you could shoot them? How in the world did we defeat England? Because of God. And then if you remember, actually, if you go back and you look at like Harvard and Yale, those colleges were start for the study of the scriptures. You go read some of the cornerstones. We've had much light revealed to us over the years. We used to be one of the nations that sent out the most missionaries. Now we need missionaries sent to us. And actually, by the way, that's happening. Many nations are sending missionaries here. A judgment is coming on the United States because much has been revealed, but we've rejected it. By the way, everything that we just talked about is tied to what Jesus says in the very next verses. Look at verses 25. Go back to Matthew 11. Go back to verses 25 through 27. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I want you to stick with me here because I want you to see, tied to what we've just had laid in the foundation, spiritual truth and light is not revealed to the people who don't think they need it. The people who are too smart for God, spiritual truth will not be revealed to them. People that are too smart for God and unwilling to humble themselves and acknowledge their sin condition and their need will not receive or have their need of Jesus revealed to them. Remember Matthew chapter 5? Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus already laid this out for us in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn because they're poor in spirit, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they realize they don't have it, and they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then he goes on and said, Blessed are the pure in heart, and so on. Look, folks, don't miss this. Jesus has already laid it out. Blessed are those who realize they're spiritually bankrupt. Go to, go to Matthew chapter 11 again. Look at verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Who does the Scripture say the Son has chosen to reveal the Father to? Well, again, according to Scripture, it definitely is anyone, but who of the anyones are going to get the Son revealed to them? Oh, no. Okay, those who repent. Those who aren't riling on their own wisdom and understanding, keep going. Uh, The ones that hunger and thirst for righteousness, just with the result of their poor in spirit. Again, he's just told us in verse 25. 
I thank you, Jesus. Jesus said, I thank you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to who? Little children. Look closely. He said, I thank you, Father, for this was your gracious will. Think about this for a second. I want you to let this sink in. And I want to chase a rabbit, as we do. It's catchable, though. Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have chosen to hide spiritual truth from the smart people and chosen to reveal spiritual truth to little children. For this was your gracious will. This was your plan, and this was gracious on your part. Let me help you understand it, hopefully. If spiritual truth was only understood by the people who were smart, would not a lot of people be left out? Because let's be honest, some people are intelligent, some people aren't. I gotta be honest, I know I'm talking in here to a room of people that probably have engineering backgrounds and you understand math and all this stuff. I may look smart to you because I can quote scripture, but let me just tell you something. I don't still to this day understand how electricity works. I can't explain how a motor in a car actually fires. I could try to, but I don't fully understand, especially now with all the computer stuff. I don't know how in the world someone could do the math to figure out how to launch something into space and have it land on the moon at the right. Let's be honest, that hurts my head. Let me still throw it out. Here's the rabbit I want to chase real quick. Do you know how we've been taught to memorize scripture all our lives? We're taught to memorize scripture. Would you not agree that it's very clear that there are some people who can really memorize well and others who can't? If God wanted us to memorize scripture, he's just said there's some people that are going to be good at it and there's some people that aren't. But the Bible doesn't tell you to memorize it. The Bible says to study it, treasure it, love it, meditate on it. Get it in, and then in John chapter 16, verses 25 and 26, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything that I have told you. Listen, folks, you don't have to sit and memorize Scripture. You've got to spend time on a daily basis just putting it in. And the Spirit of God is the one who brings it to your remembrance. Some of you have tried to memorize Scripture, and you feel like a failure, and so you quit. That's because you thought that it was for the learned. Let's be honest. Don't we think that someone with a doctorate knows more about God than the person who doesn't have a doctorate. Let's, let's be honest, don't we? Aren't we kind of impressed with Dr. So-and-so? He must know so much more than I do. Folks, listen to me. If only those who get a doctorate can understand the things of God, God has already set up a hierarchy of people who are smarter have an advantage over the people who aren't. But you know what? There's some grandmothers out there in this world who don't even have a high school graduation education and they know God more intimately than some of the people that have been to school. Because he's not revealing this stuff to the people that can figure it out. He's revealing it to the people who are willing to be humble and say, I need you. That's who he's chosen to reveal his truth to. I can prove it to you in the scripture. Go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Look at verse 6. But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to who? To the humble. Blessed are the ones who are poor in spirit, 
and mourn over it. By the way, you do understand that everyone's guilty before God. There's no one righteous, not even one. Everybody's guilty before God. The whole world's poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who realize it, humble themselves, mourn because of that, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the ones that are going to be filled. Those are the ones that God's going to reveal His truth to. By the way, as you're going to see at the end of our study tonight, it's available to everyone. When it says he's chosen whom he's going to reveal it to, it's not that he's predetermined, I'm only going to reveal it to Joe or Bob or Sue. No, he's chosen to reveal it to those who are humble enough to respond to his offer and say, I need it. Some of you still get caught up in the fact of, well, I don't have as much schooling as you do, Jim. Well, who cares? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm tired of people thinking, that I know more because I've been to seminary. I've seen seminary do more damage than good half the time. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world's eyes to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being or no flesh might boast in the presence of God. It's because of Him that you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. One of the churches I've been to in the last few weeks as I went there, and I went around on a Sunday morning introducing myself to people, one of the saddest things started to happen. The church, unfortunately, that's a little bit stuck and shrinking because of it. And as I went around, every person that I introduced myself to, to within the first few sentences of us talking, they told me how long they had been at the church. Panis says, I've, I've been panished here since December 12, 1965. I met a lady in the choir practice room, sitting in the choir practice room, waiting for Sunday school to get out, and the choir was all going to come and get warmed up before the, the service. And I introduced myself, and I said, this must be the choir practice room. And she said, yes, I've been sitting in this same chair for 57 years. And everybody I met was telling me how long they had been there. Like, that was going to impress me with how hard they've worked, how much they've been committed. And we wonder why God doesn't seem to move in situations like that. You might even have family members that love to brag the about the fact that they're a charter member of that church. Because over the years, we've been taught to be impressed with man. God says, those aren't the people that I reveal myself to. Those aren't the people that I reveal spiritual truth to. I re reveal spiritual truth to the humble, and that is God's gracious will. I reveal my spiritual truth to people that are willing to acknowledge they're like children and they need help. Would you please tie my shoes? Would you pick me up so I could see over the bank teller counter so I could see the teller? I need you. I need you. And by the way, doesn't the scripture say apart from him we can do nothing? But we don't act that way. And some of us wonder why we're not growing in our walk with the Lord or our knowledge of the word. Well, I haven't been to seminary or I haven't studied as much. See, you still think that it's intellectually learned. This is God's gracious will, folks. Listen to me. It's available to everyone. All you got to do is humble yourself. And it doesn't matter if you're smart, if you've got good grades or bad grades. It doesn't matter. 
because God has chosen not to reveal it to the people that can figure it out. He's chosen to reveal it to the people that are saying, I believe you'll show it to me, and I need you to reveal it to me. Remember he said many a time for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear? Who are the people that have eyes to see and ears to hear? The ones who acknowledge they're spiritually bankrupt, who grieve over that, who are meek, and they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the ones that are going to get spiritual truth revealed to them. Go to Acts chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 13. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came up upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priest family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and, elder, and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. By the way, does that sound like the same Peter that just a few days earlier said, I never met him? Oh, but once the Spirit of God came to indwell him, all of a sudden he started preaching like Peter had never preached. Oh, by the way, had Peter sat home rehearsing this sermon? Put a finger in Acts chapter 4. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 10. We're coming back to Acts 4. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Look at verses 19 through 20. Jesus telling his disciples, and when they deliver you over, Matthew 10, verse 19, when they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Isn't that exactly what was happening here with Peter? Yet how many of you have thought to yourself, well, I haven't had training. I haven't... I haven't, had, I haven't learned the four spiritual laws or the Roman road or I haven't learned uh, the three circles or I haven't. Folks, there's nothing wrong with learning some of these things, but don't put faith in the presentation. Put faith in the one who's going to give you the words. And it's time that the church today stopped sitting there thinking that the educated, the seminary degrees, the preachers with the doctorates and the masters, they'll do a better job. You're not going to have spiritual truth revealed to you if you think it's only revealed to the wise. It's not revealed to the people that think they have it all figured out. Actually, I know a lot of people that are super smart and actually study the scripture, but the Bible says knowledge puffs up. I know a lot of people that think they're smart in the word, but they're some of the most proud people I've ever met. and They really don't get it. But I've also met many a person around this country whom I've sat and talked with, and I knew that they had been, hadn't been to school, but they knew the Lord and they knew the word. And they, it just exudes the Spirit of God. And they're some of the most uneducated, untrained people, but they walked with Jesus. Go back to Acts chapter 4. 
Peter's just now full of the Holy Spirit, being given the words at that moment, speaking in a boldness he didn't have of his own. In verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You want spiritual truth revealed to you, not just for salvation, but on a daily basis? Stop thinking you got to go to seminary. Stop thinking you got to have a certain class. I'm not against you taking a Bible class. I'm not against you going to seminary. But if you think that's when you're going to finally understand it, you don't get it. It's His gracious will to reveal spiritual truth to those who realize I need God to give it to me and believe that He will. Doesn't it say in Acts, uh, sorry, James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. By the way, did you catch that? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. Don't go ask the preacher. Let him ask God. And it will be given to him. But when you ask, do not doubt. Believe that he will. Because a person that doubts is an unstable man. And, and he shouldn't think he'll receive anything from the Lord. But how many of you think that I have to go ask the preacher? He might tell me instead of believing that God will show you himself. All this leads back to our closing verses of today's study. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 28 to 30. Yes. Hey, uh, just a question, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Yeah. So, does that mean that they recognized both physically that they've been with Jesus and here? Yeah, the boldness that they had when they, they, they saw the boldness, the scripture said, they realized, man, these guys are preaching just like that guy Jesus whom we just put to death. They realized, this, this sounds like Jesus. Yeah, because when Peter was talking, it's like he was just, just like you said, the Holy Spirit. Exactly. I was just talking to him and he spoke with, with authority. Exactly. I, I've shared this before. I actually shared this at the church. I just preached that this past week when I was teach, preaching on the difference between flesh and the spirit. I have a fun relationship with my brother John's wife, Carlene. We've had an antagonistic, but fun antagonistic relationship for years. And she has said to me on more than one occasion, she said, Jim, I love hearing you preach. And I stop and I say, Carlene, hang on for a second. You've never said anything nice to me and I've never said anything nice to you. What's going on here? She said, let me finish. I love hearing you preach because when you preach, I hear God. You know why I hear God? She goes, I don't like you. but I like what comes out of your mouth, it must be Jesus when you preach. And I thought, okay, point for you, but I like that truth. She realizes that ain't Jim. That's not his schooling. That's not his years of training. That's Jesus. Folks, that's available to everybody. And salvation is available to everybody. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be good at memorizing the scriptures. You have available to you right now, if you'll humble yourself and become like a child and say, Jesus, Give me this truth. You said you would. Help me understand this. You said that you would. And if you spend time in the word, the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. And back in Matthew chapter 11, look at verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me. Don't go to your preacher. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. By the way, real quickly, there's nothing wrong with God using preachers and teachers, but if... 
they just make you disciples of themselves, that's a bad thing. If the preacher points you to the word and points you to Jesus, that's a good thing. Come to me, you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Even though salvation is only revealed to those who humble themselves and admit their spiritual bankruptcy, remember, it's been revealed to everyone, it's still available to all. For those who thought that their righteousness came from keeping the law, their faith was in themselves and their own ability to try to keep the law, and they didn't know that they were under the yoke of the law. The Bible, I'm not going to have you turn there, but if you go to Acts chapter 15, they talked about how the law was a yoke. It was a burden. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 6 real quick. Galatians 5, look at verses 1 through 6. Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not subject, submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, because people were teaching you had to be circumcised and follow the law in order to be saved. And there, By the way, there are a lot of people out there under the name of Christianity that are teaching you have to go back under the Jewish roots and you have to try to keep the Jewish regulations and their dietary restrictions and all that. Listen to what the scripture says. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Go back to Galatians chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 14. For all who rely, Galatians 3 verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by what? Faith. But the law is not of, the, of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus is now preaching to Jews who think they're righteous before God, Pharisees and Sadducees and high priests even. But their faith was in their ability, what they thought, to keep the law and their education and their training. And Jesus says... If you guys keep resting in your ability to figure it out because you're smarter than all these other people, you'll never get it. You'll never get it. It's the Father's gracious will to reveal His spiritual truth to everyone, but only those who are willing to humble themselves and become like children. Go to John chapter 9 real quick. Let me show you something kind of cool. I'm going to hit it fast because of where we are time-wise. John chapter 9 we see this all playing out. All right, in John chapter 9, I'm going to read it fast. You say you always read fast. Well, not yet. Where do you see this? Go to John 9. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, because the teachers taught, the Pharisees taught, that if you were sick or, not, or you were poor, it's because you were sinning. Well, this guy was born blind, so either he sinned in the womb or his parents sinned. Who sinned? This guy was born blind. 
Jesus answered, it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day and night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now, having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Hang on for a second. Those of you who are smart in this room, is that how you fix an eyeball that hasn't been able to see since birth? You just spit in the ground, make some mud, put the mud on the outside of their eyes, tell them to go wash it off and you're good. Does leprosy go away when you uh, just dump, dunk yourself in the Jordan River seven times? Of course not. But he's been teaching us all along. It's not by you figuring it out. It's you believing what he said and trusting him. So he does, he does and he comes back seeing the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is. Others said, no, he, he looks like him. He kept saying, I am. I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the, to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and, and I see. Now some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can a man who's a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So the, they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. And nor do we know how he sees, you know, sorry, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And in a little parentheses, it says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess to Jesus, confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, though, is I was blind and now I see. In other words, he's revealed himself in this miracle. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I love this answer. He answered them, I've told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? <laughs> and they reviled him, saying, you are his disciples, but we're disciples of Moses. We know this, that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why, that's an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know, according to your teaching, that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world has began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, could he, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. When you teach us, and they cast him out. Boy, they're proud of their education. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he, it is he who's speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, are we also blind? 
He said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. In other words, you act like you've got it figured out. You're still in your sin. But this guy who realized he was blind, he now can see. So, folks, is God going to reveal salvation to the people that can figure it out? Or is it available to not only everyone, but especially only for those who are willing to humble themselves and become like children and receive it? Oh, and on top of that, after salvation, it continues the same way. Knowledge, relationship with God, understanding His Word is not for the preachers and the teachers. And unfortunately, that myth has been propagated by the priests over the years in the history of the church. That's why in many generations, in the early part of the church, when the priests were the only ones who understand the word, people didn't even have a Bible. They would just go to church, and whatever the priest said, that's because he spoke for God, and that was never God's intention. That's why in John chapter 16, he says, it's, your, it's for your good that I'm going away, because when I go away, the Holy Spirit can come back and be with you all. Right now, you've got to stand in line to see me. Zacchaeus has got to climb a tree in order to see me. The woman who's got the issue of blood has got to push through a crowd to just touch me. But when I go away, the Father will send the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to come and be with you all. And folks, we are missing out on that because we've been taught that God reveals truth to the preachers and the teachers who have had the training and the education. I'm going to say this in a way that I hope you hear. I love you, but you need to hear it this way. I'm looking at a room full of very capable and uh, ready-to-receive spiritual truth candidates. I just said that y'all look dumb. Chris Gibbs raised his hands and said, amen. Listen, and you should also say, hopefully when you hear that, good. That means I'm ready for God to reveal spiritual truth to me. Do you feel stupid sometimes when it comes to understanding the word of God? Good. Stay that way and say, Lord, you said though you would reveal it to children. And I don't have to be smarter. You'll reveal it to me. If you understand all this and believe, you're considered simple by the people of this world. Go to John chapter 7. By the way, there are people in Christendom who think that God's already, He's only going to save certain people and He's predestined other people for hell. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. The sad thing is, as I try to share the scriptures with these individuals, they automatically look at me as stupid. They're more higher educated. They're more learned than me because I believe that Jesus died on the cross for everyone because that's what it does say in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that Jesus died not only for our sins but also for the sins of the entire world. And there are people in Christendom who think I'm stupid because I'm not as learned as them. But listen to John chapter 7, verses 45 through 52. Starting in verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him in? They had sent the, the, the soldiers to go arrest him or the officers of the, of the synagogue. Why didn't you bring him in? The officers said, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that doesn't know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. By the way, as a little aside, they've shown their ignorance by even saying that. If you do a study, you realize Micah came from Galilee. There was a prophet that came from Galilee. It was Micah. 
But at the same time, what did they do for the people that were humbling, humbly enough saying, you know what, I think that this guy might be speaking truth. The, the officer said, you know, he, no one ever spoke like him. They jumped on him. You're dumb. You haven't been trained. Do any of us smart people, do we believe in him? And then Nicodemus, who was one of them, who was being drawn by the Spirit and humbling himself, when he went to Jesus at night in John 3 and said, we know you're from God, because no one could do the things that you do unless God were with him. By the way, did you catch what Nicodemus said about the whole group of the Pharisees? We know that you're from God. Like I told you, there's no such thing as an atheist. God revealed himself to the whole world, and everybody knows in some level or not. And it's only those who are humble enough to say, I know it doesn't sound smart in the eyes of the world, but I believe. I don't understand it all, but I believe. You're going to be mocked and ridiculed by this world. You're going to be mocked by those who think they have it all figured out. Oh, by the way, if you understand what we're talking about, you didn't figure it out. God opened your eyes. Remember Jesus when he said, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon. You're smart. Did he say that? No, he said, flesh and blood didn't open your eyes. My father opened your eyes. And you're Peter now. You know that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says that we're saved by what? Grace through faith. And not of anything we do. It's a gift of God. This is the father's gracious will, folks. That salvation and the truth of who Jesus is be revealed. It's available to all, but it's only going to be revealed to those who humble themselves and ask God to give them eyes to see and ears to hear. And after salvation, spiritual growth still works the same way. He's not going to reveal spiritual truth to those who have had the seminary training only. He's going to reveal spiritual truth to the people who are saying, Lord, teach me. Lord, I want to know. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Look at verses 1 through 4. We'll close with this tonight. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. And he said, Truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I bet you the child was standing there thinking, I don't even know what's going on right now. Right? By the way, let me ask you an honest question. Show of hands. It's going to feel good. Have any of you ever thought to yourself, man, I don't even know what's going on right now? Me too. That's wonderful. Don't fall prey to the enemy's lies. Go out and tell people about Jesus. Don't think that you have to have a training and all this stuff. Go believe that God will give you the words. Go love people enough to know that they just need to hear. And if they get it, it isn't because you're good at it. It's because the Spirit of God opened their eyes. And as you now spend time in the Word, don't think, I need to ask somebody what this means. I got no problem with you sending me questions on, in the Internet and email and stuff. I love that. But all I'm going to do is send you back scripture and let you go wrestle with it. But why don't you try first saying, Lord, help me see what this means. Speak to me. By the way, I don't look at commentaries and what other preachers have said about things until after I've spent a long time wrestling with it myself. You know why? 
because I believe God will show me. And he does. And most of these studies, all these notes that I've been making over the years, it's really not me looking at what so-and-so said or so-and-so said or so-and-so said. I don't put my messages together by compiling commentaries, opinions on the passage. My wife will tell you, I rarely look at what the commentary writer said. I only look when I feel like I think I have something and I want to see if someone else sees the same thing or if I'm stuck. I sometimes will do that. But most of the time, everything that I've been throwing to you isn't because of my seminary classes. I skipped most of those. They gave me so many, and I actually kept track on my notebook for each class how many skips I had used, because my thinking was they're going to give me six every semester. I want to make sure I use them all. And I skipped every single class I could. I'm not a smart student. But I do believe that he'll show himself to people that ask him. Go have fun letting him use you as a child out there. And as you grow in your walk with him, stop falling prey to the lie that the guys with the degrees know him no more than you. You're probably going to know more than them. And that's okay. Don't become proud. Jim? I was just looking at Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Mm -hmm. uh, you are a pastor teacher, aren't you? Yep. And it sort of says here that you are to equip uh, the people. To do the works of the ministry. That, so that you will grow up into him who is the head. Go ahead. Actually, it doesn't say the people. It says that you are to equip the saints. Yep. Aren't we all saints? Yep. Uh, what happens if you don't think you're a saint and then you try to talk to people? Oh, a lot of people think that I'm not a saint. The Bible term for saint is a believer. Those are the saints. Yeah. Yep. And on top of that, if you keep reading in that passage in Ephesians 4, 11 and following, it says we'll no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching as I teach you how to feed on God for, for yourself and you will grow up into him who is the head. My job is to feed you the word and tell you God will show you and you're going to grow. And when you actually start studying the word for yourself, it don't matter what the preacher says, you won't get suckered because you know the word. I love you. See you next week. Thanks for coming.